0: If there was a language for leaders, that language would be storytelling. On today's show, Nancy Duarte and Patty Sanchez help us discover how to ignite change in our organizations through storytelling. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 268. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave stahoviak Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And I am really glad you tuned in today because I have two people with me who are not only experts in communication, but have been helping organizations for many years and leaders to become more effective communicators. And uh, I have been recommending their work for a long time. So I was thrilled when they reached out about a new book that they have just come out with that uh, also... Taps into so much of the important work that all of us do as leaders in being able to lead and communicate about change. And I'm really glad to welcome to the show Nancy Duarte and Patty Sanchez. Nancy is a communication expert who's been featured in many publications, including Fortune, Forbes, and Fast Company. Her firm, Duarte Incorporated, has created thousands of presentations for the world's top institutions, including Apple, Cisco, Facebook, GE, Google, TED, and many others. She's also the author of Resonate, Slideology, and the HBR Guide to Persuasive Presentations, and now is the co-author of Illuminate! Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols. And she's joined today by Patty Sanchez, who is a communicator with 25 years of experience leading Transformative marketing initiatives for brands and causes. And she's also the co author of Illuminate. And she's the chief strategy officer for Duarte and creates communications, intellectual property, and consoles clients on how to create authentic connections with their audiences through persuasive presentations. Nancy, Patty, welcome to Coaching for Leaders.
1: Thank you. So glad to be here. Thanks a ton.
0: Well, I am thrilled to talk to you both because I am a bit of a fanboy, and I've been recommending Slideology for years. Anytime anyone uh, asks about how do I design a good presentation and think about visuals, Slideology is always my first recommendation. And so I was was thrilled to hear about this new book. And uh, before we even get into some of the details of it, the word that comes up for me when thinking about this book is change. And I'm, I'm wondering what you see as the importance as far as change when thinking about leaders in communication.
2: Well, you know, what comes up for me, this is Patty, is uh, it's, it's not really optional these days, you know? And, and, and so it's funny because I think we, we talk to people in all kinds of organizations who don't necessarily always label what they're doing as change, per se, but they're always, uh, if they're healthy organizations, in a constant state of evolution and of flux. And that is because the world around us is changing, and uh, if, especially if we're growing businesses, uh, we have to keep uh, adding new capabilities, you know, scaling our processes, bringing in new talent so that we can continue to serve our customers. So that equals change. It, it, so it permeates our environment. So we have to deal with it. But most of us don't deal with it well.
0: I agree, and uh, i w- I was surprised when I did my graduate work in leadership and how many classes were unchanged. and I remember thinking at the time, why aren't there some more classes on how to keep things going the way they are and and yet <laughs> and yet it's it is the it is the work of leaders, and I think it's interesting what you both have looked at in your research is just how organizations grow and also ultimately decline if they don't embrace change and if leaders don't do a good job of having communication around change. And I was wondering if you could say more about that.
1: It's kind of funny. The point is you're either driving change toward a new future or reacting because you didn't change enough. So the kind of up and down of business. It's a leader's role to create a new future and drive everyone to get there. Yet when we're not driving everyone to your point, like when can people ask me, i that on my team all the time, when are we going to just stop? when can we just relax and and when if you let it do that it goes into this state of of decay and patty and i looked at some of those rhythms and cycles we had big great big giant graph paper we rolled out on the wall and from memory because we're we're workhorses here in the Valley, we could actually um, sketch out the ebb and flow of multiple ventures that different companies have gone on, especially we looked at these long ones like IBM, HP, Apple, um, and we, we looked at what, when did they infuse their organizations with innovation so that they wouldn't die, and that was actually one of the very first things we did, and then we said, there's a, there's a book here. These companies are following a plot, that's reinvigorating themselves with innovation so they don't decay. And that is the leader's role. You know, managers manage the present, but leaders create the future. And when you're creating a future, it means you're driving change. It means today isn't going to look a lot like tomorrow. And um, that ebb and flow is is the life cycle of a business.
0: Well, I'm so curious at some of the organizations that you looked at, and you talk about movements as far as creating movements. And what, what did you learn when you looked at some of these organizations who were successful in, in, and have been successful at reinventing themselves over time? What have they done?
2: Well, like Nancy said, they, they innovated, you know, they, they created new products. Uh, new services, new processes over and over again, and the ones that have lasted, uh, that, that we all want to be, uh, those enduring companies are the ones that have launched multiple ventures, as we call them in our book, uh, again and again and again. So, you know, IBM uh, was was uh, one kind of company when it was founded, and it's a different kind of company now, and there were many ventures in between to bring it to where it is. And, uh, and oftentimes, they're undertaking those kinds. Kinds of movements simultaneously, and uh, that's where it gets really challenging, I think, especially uh, when you're trying to, say, launch a new product, create a new product, yet you only have limited resources, so you have to take some resources from somewhere else, so you're actually maybe constraining uh, effort in one part of your business so you can funnel those resources to another part of your business, and each of those are kind of little mini-movements, and so the, the organizations that have uh, succeeded for uh, the longest period of time have mastered how to do that over and over really well.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that handling multi- multiple uh, movements at a time. And that's, uh, John Cotter was on the show recently, and we were talking about change. And that was the biggest thing he said is different today than maybe was 20 or 30 years ago when he first created his model is now organizations are doing this consistently and, and handling multiple changes all the time. And that's just the reality of leadership today for so many of us.
2: Right, exactly, and what's especially uh, challenging about that is the way it drains the energy of your people, uh, because human capital is the biggest asset any of us have. And 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 anytime we ask those humans to do something new, it's scary. It's hard. You know, if you've ever tried to learn a new sport or uh, some other new kind of hobby, it's always hardest in the beginning because you're using muscles, um, skills that, that are new to you and it takes longer and it's frustrating and you want to just like throw down the ball and go home because you can't get it right. And that's what it feels like to our teams when and we're asking them to do something new. And if we're asking them to do that on multiple fronts, then it's especially exhausting. And so, well, Nancy said it's the job of a leader to create the future. It's also, I think, the job of the leader to uh, create energy so that others can help them make that future real. And, and we think that that's what good communication, great communication does, is it actually energizes people so that they have the, the resources uh, and motivation to uh, keep going.
0: Yeah, and I think you've you've hit on something that, um, and and I'll even take a step back from from that too. Is that it's 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 fearful for the teams that we're leading, and in talking with a lot of our community over the years, I think it, it's also really fearful for us as leaders too. Is we don't, and I think it's it's fear one because it's new, but it's also fear because a lot of leaders have heard about what to do with organizational change, and they've heard kind of the broad brushstrokes. But when it comes down to Okay, I've got to prepare this 20-minute presentation on what we're going to do differently now going forward over the next six months. Where do I start? And, and that's really scary.
2: Yeah, tell us about it. I mean, you know, while we were writing this book, we were going through our own uh, transformation as a company, and Nancy and I both uh, faced a horribly ugly blank page when we, at the same time we were having to prepare communications for our internal teams, you know, to uh, communicate to them where we're going next and to try and convince them, you know, we wheel them into believing that this is a good thing for them. Uh, so we had to build these tools even so that we ourselves could communicate better in those times.
0: Oh. interesting. Interesting. So uh, I'm curious, what did you, um, both from your own experience in your firm and also in looking at some of these larger firms and movements that have been successful, um, what have you learned as a starting point for when you get to that place where the organization or the leadership has recognized the need for change and just starting that process of thinking through how are we going to communicate this?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny because I'm not naturally empathetic. And one of the most beautiful things that happened to me in my life was getting to work with Patty, who's an empath. You know, she's just that the definition of that is a supernatural ability to be empathetic, and I think the first thing you have to do is really deeply listen, because I think sometimes the leader's objectives of where we need to go clashes with the emotional place that the travelers are that you're trying to get to go along with you. So the first thing you have to do is listen and, and kind of map, empathetically map out where they're at, where you need to be and that's why the model that we put in the book it's based in storytelling but it's we call it a venturescape and it's not as it's just as much a model you could use to map out the stages of a movement as much as it is feeling in your heart what people feel like as you're advancing them forward through different stages you know at one moment they need you to create a moment of endurance they may need a moment to be brave or a moment to commit. There's, there's, there's a, a emotional system that they need as you push them through your movement towards your outcome. And I think that that's what's missing in a lot of leaders is they, they understand what they need to get done, but they don't understand the heart of the people that are trying to make their dream a reality.
0: And I bet a lot of our uh, our community would resonate with what you said, Nancy, is that maybe not necessarily empathy being their top skill set, um, but something that they recognize is important for something like this. What did you do in addition to, uh, to bringing in Patty as someone who's, who's really got a strong skill set on that? What did you do as a leader just to get yourself in that place where you could, um, you could listen well and really be present at what was going on for people?
1: It's funny because that was, I think, my biggest development area. I feel like I've got an intuitive sense of being a heartfelt leader, and I I can kind of intuitively know where we need to go, but I spent so much time in the future, which is a leader's role, don't get me wrong, is to spend time in the future, a lot of time in the future, because we need to make sure we're a scout and we know where to go. But what I struggled with was being present enough to feel how it's going to make them feel. And that's why, like a lot of my body of work, it's models for empathy that I needed. Like, Uh I need these models. I got to tell you, since the books come out, I've whipped out the communication toolkit four times. My chief client officer said she had to pin it up on her wall because <laughs> she she's about as empathetic as I am. But she needs, like, when when you naturally lack this ability to sense right then in the moment, it helps to orient yourself to. Oh, that's right, we're right here. And, oh my gosh. They need to hear a crossroads story or, oh, my gosh, I should be doing a revolution speech right now. Like it yeah. helps you know the nature of how you need to communicate at each phase. And I really needed it. I needed it as much for myself as I wanted to give this away as a body of work.
0: And, and isn't some of the best work the work that actually helps us to <laughs> that we create? Yeah, uh, because,
1: I mean, Patty was treading lightly I mean there were moments when I came in and I'm just like processing like oh my god how you, you know how, why is this happening and she would have this really tender way of reframing it from the shoes of my staff and it was so poignant it 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 made me cry. I mean, there was a couple of times where we both just had tears in our eyes. We're like, oh my God, what we're writing is true because we really needed this right now. And the people mm. need this right now. And so it was almost like writing the book in the very Petri dish that it was, you know, it was like weird, this weird meta.
0: <laughs> yeah. What a fascinating. <laughs> thing. Really poignant,
1: do. really poignant. Yeah, yeah we're About 120 people. So that hundred person mark is really hard to cross over. And that's kind of that, what we're busting through right now. So it's fun. It's good.
0: Uh, Patty, I'm. I'm also thinking about our audience. A lot of them who are senior leaders in their firms and are reporting to a leader who's like Nancy in some cases, where wanting to get better at something, but maybe not having the skill set in that area that they need as much to drive a change. Um, how did you work with Nancy, and what did you do in order to influence change in a way that was helpful to her and also the organization?
2: Well, really simple things at times. You know, like asking a question. Well, what? If you were new, you know, to this role just like these people are, what would you be thinking and feeling? You know, or think back to a time when uh, you had to pick up the phone and try and pitch somebody a, a new service and uh, and and they hung up on you. You know, it wasn't always easy. Try to remember what that time was like. Uh, that's probably what they're feeling right now. And I think that's one of the things, one of the insights that led us to the uh, the power of storytelling as a change-making tool as well as an empathetic listening tool for leaders. So, you know, Nancy rattled off a couple of the speech or story types that are in the toolkit that the book talks about. But, for instance, when uh, in the middle of this change journey, we described it you know, as the messy middle and what we label the stage as fight and climb because that's what people are having to do. They've already committed to your vision uh, and they've taken some steps toward it, which is dream and leap. But now they're really in the fight. They're in the struggle uh, to try and make progress toward that. Vision and the bigger it is, the harder it is, the more they're running up against obstacles of all kinds. And so, when you imagine that you're that person who is trying to do what your boss tells you to do, and you really want to believe it's going to work out, but somebody inside or outside the organization is saying this is stupid, why can't we do it the way we used to? They're sabotaging your every effort to try and make it successful. It really does feel like a battle against a monster of some kind, and they really need encouragement. And so. for instance, you know, one of the story types that we unearth there that leaders often use is this overcoming the enemy story. People need to hear an anecdote about a time when you or someone like them or someone else that they can relate to was up against an, a, a foe like that and found a way to to win so stories are a really powerful tool for teaching because uh, they, they communicate a message but they do it in a very kind of visceral way like they set a scene a very specific situation uh, and, and a, that a person like them could run up against and so you know that's kind of one of the tools I use with Nancy is you know well when was it when was there a time when you were going through that yourself okay maybe that's the kind of story you need to be telling them so that you can show you understand what they're struggling with but then also tell another story about how uh, the new behavior you'd like to see actually worked.
0: So it's a process of the leader really uh, listening and, and like you said earlier, having empathy, meeting people where they are and finding the right language, communication model, whatever it is, in order to have empathy, but then also to encourage people to take the step forward. Is that, a, is that an oversimplification or is that accurate? No. No.
2: That's exactly right. And I, I think that's, um it's hard for leaders to do that work, though, because uh, you, you, maybe you have total conviction that the, the vision is right and you just can't see the alternative. You don't understand why people don't get it. And so you need someone else who can play that in role play the person who's resisting or struggling and help you see it from their perspective but also leaders are just naturally forward thinking like Nancy said they live in the future and so once they communicate that vision they pretty much assume it's in it's underway and they're off imagining the next thing and so you forget that people are still like running behind you trying desperately to catch up uh, and and you're already on to the next frontier that's why we build these kinds of models that remind people, hey, you know, just, just communicating your dream is the start of the journey. It's not the end. There's a lot more you have to go through. And if you don't have the time or the patience to, to communicate through the rest of the journey, you need to find somebody in your organization who does and empower them to be the person who's going to be the encourager and the mentor along the way.
0: That strikes me as one of the biggest mistakes that leaders make is um, and I've, I've heard clients many times over the years say something like, oh, we announced the new initiative or we sent out the memo or we did the kickoff meeting and then they're on to the next thing <laughs> and <laughs> and and ready to implement it. And people are just beginning to grasp what's changed or what's happened or maybe didn't even notice it because they didn't see the email. And there's not a lot of what's next after that. And, um, and I like how you, you talked about it could be the leader that does it, but there could be someone else in the organization that does that too. What is the what's next? So you, you've had that kickoff. You've had the big uh, you know, announcement or, or whatever it is. Is there a logical what's next or does that change depending on the context of the organization and the leader who's involved?
2: Well, the, all the movements we studied follow the same basic pattern in, in terms of the stages that people go through and the kinds of things that they generally need to hear. You know, that be- beginning stage or of the journey is, is what we call the dream leap, as I said, uh, communicate the vision. But then what happens right after that is uh, people have a choice in front of them to join you uh, or to not join you. And that is a critical moment. It's a threshold they have to cross just like in a story. And so your communication needs to not only articulate what this dream is, but also give them a reason to say yes to take the next step. Uh, so there are certain kinds of communication that you have to do. And, and even ceremonies can be helpful here to uh, help people kind of rehearse the act of actually physically committing to the idea by signing a wall or or uh, giving a, a pledge. Um, that's, that's meant to um, move people over the threshold uh, to taking the next step uh, into that messy middle that we talked about.
0: Yeah, I was wondering if you could say more about that because I think that Many organizations know, at least have done speeches and stories, and and a lot of leaders recognize the importance of utilizing those. But I don't think a lot of organizations always appreciate the importance of ceremonies and symbols, which you talk about in the book. Tell us more about that, and, and why is that critical for this process?
1: I think ceremonies are like new, it's new language we're introducing into the business vernacular because it's so important. And ceremonies are also based in a story structure, a three act story structure, where there's this person, I don't know, a young boy going through a bar mitzvah. He goes through a ceremony and he emerges a man. Or you show up to your wedding and you're single, you go through a ceremony and you have in laws. What happens with a ceremony is something ends and something new begins. And you're saying goodbye to the past. I am no longer a boy. Ten minutes later, I am now a man. And it changes your mindset. It changes your activities and your behavior and your heart. And you approach the same world from a different perspective. Well, the same thing needs to happen collectively. We need collective catharsis in an organization. You need to tell your entire body of travelers, this is ended and this is new again. And that demarcation needs to be really clear so they stop revisiting the past. One of the reasons we get entrenchment or you get resistance is because they're like, but this isn't the way it's always been. <laughs> You're asking me to do something different. Yeah. And sometimes there just has to be a ceremonial cutting off of what was old and is now new. Some of the types of ceremonies, are, they're based in long-term cultural communal ceremonies, you know, that we all know and are familiar with. There's Immerse Deeply or Heal Wounds or uh, Mourn Endings. Um, There's just a lot of um, different types of ceremonies, to Patty's point, based on the stage um, that your people are in. Sometimes they need rally spirits. Sometimes they need... Blockages dismantled, like when um, Meg Whitman showed up at HP, one of the first things she did is she took the cyclone fencing down between the executive parking and the employee parking, and she stopped the usage of a secret, you know, executive door that only execs could enter into. She was saying, look, we're all in this together. I'm going to, it's symbolic to your question about symbols. So she did the ceremonial act of turning, taking down the cyclone fencing, but it also was a communication mechanism and a symbol saying,
0: And, and unlike the email announcement that may or may not have been read, I bet every employee noticed that fencing coming down the next morning when <laughs> they drove in because yeah, it it's broadcast. so... I think it was yeah. even in the
1: news. So, yeah. I, mean, I think yeah. it's like a it's something that you do to send a really, really clear message. And Steve Jobs actually also did a really striking ceremony when he was really tired of the um, last batch of people that hadn't migrated from nine to 10. Uh, the developers were supposed to be fully coded and re- launched. their their applications in 10. And so he used the opportunity at the developers conference to take an oversized box of Mac OS 9 and actually put it in a coffin and shut the lid, put a red rose on top, and eulogize the death of Mac OS 9. Well, the developers got it. They're like, oh, I guess I'm not going to develop in that anymore. (laughs) It was maybe (laughs) over the top, but it sent a very clear message. This is dead. Let's move on. You know? So... It's just important to rally people the right direction.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you mentioned this because I think that most leaders don't think about that as a communication method to signal right. an ending. I think that's a, something that very few people probably really utilize well. And so I'm, I know people in our audience are already thinking like, okay, I have an ending coming up. How could I signify that really effectively? So I, I, love, I love your thoughts on that. Tell me more about symbols. Are there things that we as leaders should be thinking about as far as how we utilize symbols? And, and maybe it might even be helpful for us to define what a symbol is as far as how that plays into the process of, of the story.
2: mm mm-hmm. Well a symbol in, in the simplest form is is an artifact of some kind often it's an object but it could be a sound or a visual or something like that that has meaning because it was used in some other way in, in a communication or an event a moment that had meaning for people. so you know the um, the award trophy you know from the team competition at the company picnic is a symbol of uh, teamwork and, and winning right but they're all kinds of other symbols that uh, we may not realize have meaning for us in our business lives, but they do. It it could be perhaps um, an object that you used uh, during a talk that you gave. Uh, The object itself is not so important as the message that it conveyed with. And so after that moment in time that had a real effect on people, the object or that symbol then becomes to kind of stand for what they experience together. And that's why they're so powerful. I mean, you see this a lot uh, in, in social change movements, you know, the, uh, whether it's a, a raised fist or a chant, hell no, we won't go, or something like that. Those are those are shorthand for a shared message and a shared moment that people experience together and people repeat it over and over. Over and that's really the power of a symbol is that it, it makes an idea and the emotions associated with that idea very viral makes it easier to spread.
1: Yeah, there's a there's ways to do it as a leader that it has to come up out of the culture. You can't just like pin something on it because that actually can backfire. But there's little examples here in the Valley, like Zuckerberg, you know, he took over the building of Sun Microsystem, which had completely failed. Sun Microsystems went out of business. So instead of um, replacing the sign, he flipped it around, he painted the Facebook logo on one side. And if you go and get your picture taken in front of the Facebook sign with the big thumb up on it, when you cruise around the backside, it's this rusty, D- dilapidated Sun Microsystem signage. And he, he said, we are going to use this as a cautionary tale because what happened to Sun Microsystems will never happen to us. So uh-huh. it's like there's ways to take this object that had no meaning other than directionally point to where to go and make it have meaning. So suddenly this inanimate object has meaning and has emotion infused in it because of what it symbolizes.
0: I've really been impressed by leaders who are able to do that well, and I know I have underestimated the power of symbols used well in organizations. And and like you have seen examples where leaders have done that well within the cultural context. And 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 people will even things they um, have as a gift or a handout people will hang on to those for decades sometimes um, in their organizations. It's really amazing to see that to see that come together well. Um, you know, yeah. one of the things I'm 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 really curious about from from both of you is anytime anyone's doing really groundbreaking work and thinking about how people lead more effectively. Uh, I'm curious from you both, looking back now, what do you hold true today that maybe you didn't hold true or didn't believe in five years ago based upon the research you've done in this book and of having created this model?
1: Wow, that's a brilliant question. (laughs) I think that I know more about myself uh, than I ever dreamed I could as far as how I sell, how I frame things. Um, I learned, I had to go into my childhood even and heal some wounds around my own narcissistic mom because a narcissist is actually missing the empathy gene. And in her absence of empathy, I never had it modeled as a child. And so when you don't have it modeled, it's harder to acquire a skill as an adult you know, and so I, I actually went through a personal kind of almost sounds really maybe it's because I'm female and I'm saying it but it's like a personal rebirth in my insights into um, empathy, and uh, that's what this book did for me for sure.
0: Mm, thank you. Mm-hmm
1: happy you know, with my midwife. <laughs> 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 and, and it's a pretty baby, isn't it?
2: <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, you know, I, I was kind of reflecting on my you know, early life and my career and how, um, what I could have done differently if I had had this knowledge. And one of the things that came to me is that I I always understood the power of words. I'm very careful with my my choice of words. I'm learning how to embrace visuals, too, especially in the Duarte uh, community. I'm learning so much about how to visualize ideas. But I also never really thought about the impact of my energy, you know, when I communicate, uh, it, 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 it's just nonverbal communication, but even just remembering that I am in a lot of ways a symbol Of the change I want to see. And so I have to be deliberate about what I communicate, how I communicate, uh, and remember that uh, if I want people to feel brave, I need to show what bravery looks like. If Mm. I want people to uh, feel gritty and capable of overcoming and and enduring, then I need to model what that looks like.
0: Oh, well, thanks to you both for that. That's uh, that's so helpful because that's just... Such a real, such a real kind of thing that so many of us are, are managing in our organizations and trying to develop ourselves. And uh, one of the common things I hear from our audience is, "I'm navigating change. I know I need to think about this strategically. Where do I start, and what do I do?" And I think this model is a really great starting point of not only from the big picture piece that we've talked about today, but also the tactical how to process to go through it. And um, Patty, you you were telling me offline that. One of the, um, there's a couple of tools we'll make available to our audience, and I'll get the links in our show notes. And one of them was a matrix. And I was wondering if you could say more about that tool and how people may interact with it in in a way that would help them to uh, really appreciate the power here.
2: Absolutely. Well, this is that uh, magical resource that Nancy and I both turned to when we were writing this book and trying to figure out what the heck to say and how to say it in our own journey of transformation. So we call it the Torchbearers Communication Toolkit and it is a um, a quick reference of, of the five stages of the journey and, uh, and then uh, all the different kinds of speeches, stories, and ceremonies, and uh, symbols to a certain extent that you can use in each of those stages. So it it's almost like a magic eight ball, you know, you just shake it and, and it tells you uh, something about where you are right now and what you need. Um, but it's even more useful than a magic eight ball because it actually tells you what to say. It doesn't say things to you only. Um, so it's a pretty cool resource uh, and um, we're really excited to be sharing it with people as, as kind of like a 911 for their change communication. You know, pick that up, have a look at it uh, when you're stuck and, and it'll help you um, get clear about the next thing you should communicate
0: Fabulous. Uh, so I'm going to get links to all of that in the show notes. In addition, we'll put a link to that directly at coachingforleaders.com torchbearer. And so that way folks can access it quickly and immediately, especially those of you who are navigating this right now. And there'll be tons of other resources on the show notes for those of you who get the weekly leadership guide. Nancy, Patty, thank you so much for taking oh. the time and for not only uh, the work you've done here, but also just all the work you've done over the years to help leaders communicate uh, so well. I'm so grateful for it.
2: Thank you. It was a blast talking to you. And good luck to all in your change efforts.
0: Nancy Duarte and Patty Sanchez are the authors of Illuminate, Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols. Thanks again. Thank you. Nancy and Patty and their team sent over a ton of resources for us, and they are going to be included in the weekly notes. We talked about a few of them on in the conversation today, but there's also a bunch more as well, too. And the best way to get access to those is to be on the weekly leadership guide that comes on Wednesday. It always includes the show notes for... The Monday show prior, and in addition, a bunch of other resources of the best things I found online articles, videos, other podcast episodes, uh, and resources that I think will help support your leadership development. That comes in your email box every Wednesday. And when you join the first time, you'll also get access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you to get better results from others. So you can get access to all of that at Coaching for Leaders dot com slash subscribe now as I mentioned on the front end the language of leaders is storytelling so this is not the first time we've tackled storytelling on the show and there's three episodes that will also be helpful to you if you're thinking about storytelling and continuing to enhance your skills and how you use communication in your organization I would recommend episode number 51 called How Storytelling Helps You Lead. It was with my friend, Sandy Morgan. We talked about some of the core elements of storytelling, and she gave some great examples on that episode. Uh, So again, that's episode 51. Uh, Back on episode 148, David Hutchins was on the show uh, talking about the four stories leaders need for influence. A great tie in today's conversation and, uh, and some additional tactical skills that will help you to support your storytelling. Again, that's episode 148. And then finally, episode 219. Michael Port was on the show talking about how to steal the show. That's also the title of his most recent book. And he has developed a tremendous expertise around presentations specifically. It's a great compliment to today's conversation. Again, that's episode 219. And to get to any of those past episodes, just go to coachingforleaders.com/slash the episode number, and you will be able to find those very easily. And one additional note, speaking of related episodes, my friend Sandy Morgan and I, who I mentioned was on episode 51, also co-host a podcast called Ending Human Trafficking, which is produced by Vanguard University and the Global Center for Women and Justice, which Sandy directs at Vanguard. She's one of Bonnie's colleagues, and uh, it is an important show for all of us to learn about uh, how what we can do, not only personally, but in our organizations about ending the global issue of human trafficking. Sandy and I have been doing that show actually longer than Coaching for Leaders has been going on. It's been going on almost six years now. So for those of you who have an interest in that effort in the world, uh, thank you if you are already aware of that and doing things about it. And I would encourage you to check out that show. Again, it's called Ending Human Trafficking. and you can find it on iTunes or whatever podcast app you listen to this show on. And next week on uh, the next episode, I'm going to be welcoming Larry Braman to the show. He is going to teach us how to enhance a skill that every smart leader should be doing if not often at least occasionally and that is asking for career help yep how to ask for help we all need to do it and if we don't we don't just we just don't get as far in our careers on our own so i encourage you to check out that episode also a big thank you this week to PSB8 in the United Kingdom, for the kind review on iTunes, thank you so much. They mentioned that they have passed along the show to a number of their colleagues. I can't think of a greater compliment for the work we're doing uh, than those of you who have passed along the show to others. So thank you for those of you who have done that. And if you found this show helpful, please pass it along to someone that you care about. And uh, thanks and have a great week. Take care.